My next guest is American writer, historian, actor and essayist whose acid wit has made him a hugely popular and indeed unpopular commentator. I like Gore when he's on this show. He says what is on his mind. Mr. Vidal has become a cultural icon. Prolific American novelist, playwright, screenwriter, historian, essayist. Conversationalist, actor, humorist and sometime political candidate. Would you welcome please Mr. Gore Vidal. From We Own This Town, this is Vidalatry. A look at the wit and wisdom in the spoken words of Gore Vidal. I'm Ryan Briegel. From the arrival of his debut novel in 1946 until his death in 2012, Gore Vidal was a player of many parts. Writer, historian, even political candidate. But most of all, he was known for being a talker. Gore's everyday speech was so entertaining that he was repeatedly invited to be a guest on TV talk shows, where he'd bring up subjects that were rarely discussed. Gore was encouraged to share what he thought about the world around him, and he loved doing it. After all, he did once say, never turn down an opportunity for sex or to be on television. And it appears he followed his own advice. On the subject of gay sex, Gore's views can seem contradictory. He speaks of homosexual acts with no shame, yet he was reluctant to label himself as a gay man. He claims in his youth he had lots of sex with lots of men, yet he chose to live with one man for 53 years. And the secret of their relationship? Gore's answer was no sex. It is possible that Gore Vidal fell in love when he was very young and never got over it. In a PBS interview from 1995 promoting his first memoir, Gore speaks about the boy he met when he was a teenager, a boy he never forgot, a boy he would bring up in interviews time and time again. His name was Jimmy Trimble, and Gore loved to talk about the idea of he and Jimmy being two halves of a whole. Well, we grew up together, and I was one week older than he, and we went to school together. He was the greatest athlete in the school, and I was already a writer. And we had, the one thing we had in common was that uh, we were already, as schoolboys, we were what we were going to be all our lives. We were like two parts of uh, the same person. And then we were separated by time and war at 17. He enlisted in the Marines, and 50 years ago last March, he was uh, killed at Iwo Jima. So as I said to one interviewer once, this was sort of the unfinished business of my life. And in this memoir, titled Palimpsest, Gore never shies away from the many times he and Jimmy snuck away and found themselves, quote, belly to belly in the act of becoming one. He continues in this interview to emphasize the quest at that age for nothing more than sexual pleasure. I, like so many people, was always in youth. I was into lust. I was not into... Uh, in, real entanglements, and we were both promiscuous to a degree that is not possible in the age of AIDS, but we certainly were. It may have been the tension of the war, I don't know what. So neither one of us was looking for completeness, we were looking for the excitement and the adventure. And speaking of sexual adventures, Gore had plenty. His focused gaze, his full lips, and the mix of intelligence and overblown confidence was hard for others to resist. Gore was primed to be promiscuous, and he was, by all accounts, very much desired. But when he speaks of Jimmy Trimble or the numerous men he slept with in the years that followed, he is very careful to state that his trysts were simply homosexual encounters, an adjective describing an act. They did not make him a homosexual. 
a noun he never believed in. Well, I don't make any uh, labels for anybody. There's no such thing as a homosexual person, no such thing as a heterosexual person. Technically, I suppose we're all bisexual. But uh, the, these, uh, these are adjectives, not nouns. They described actions. Yes, there's a homosexual action, and some people like to commit them all the time. There are heterosexual actions, and people sometimes are exclusively that, sometimes not. Gore further examined this idea in an interview with Melvin Bragg in 2008 for the UK television program, The South Bank Show. You refused to ally yourself with what became known as, and I hate the phrase, but what became known as the gay movement. You wouldn't ally yourself with that or with any other movement, but you no. did not. Why is that? Because nobody can be characterized in any sense by what sexually they have done or do or may want to do. I mean, I can see biographically it's of some interest in drawing a portrait. We always like to find out whether Lord Byron is writing to Caroline Lamb or he's writing to the stable boy. It, it changes the gravitas of the poetry. And I think we all have that kind of rude curiosity. But, but you said I'm going to do this terrible thing of presenting you with somebody, something you've written. Actually, there's no such thing as a homosexual person any more than there is such a thing as a heterosexual person. The words are adjectives describing sexual acts, not people. Those sexual acts are entirely natural, and if they were not known, but performed them. Gay militants now assert there's such a thing as gay sensibility, the outward and visible sign of a new kind of human being. Thus, madness begets madness. And I said, you know, if there is such a thing, tell us about a heterosexual temperament. Uh, what does Lyndon Johnson, I remember I used that as an have in common with Bertrand Russell, except each is heterosexual? Do they have anything in common? Does it tell us anything that they both chase ladies? No. Well, this is a conundrum that has never been solved out there. Gore chooses to contrast Bertrand Russell with Lyndon Johnson because Russell was an outspoken opponent of the Vietnam War. In fact, he attacked President Johnson's war policy as a barbaric, aggressive war of conquest. In 1966, Russell organized the International War Crimes Tribunal, a private group that investigated American involvement in Vietnam. Gore's point is that these two men both professed to be sexually attracted to women, yet their viewpoints on a subject such as war could not be more different. He stresses that the heterosexual acts of these two men really tell us nothing about them, except that they had sex with lots of women and how silly it was for these so-called gay militants to group people together as having similar mannerisms or interests above a sexual nature. By 1946, Gore Vidal had published two war-themed novels. The first sold very well, the second did not. For his third outing, Gore knew he had to come up with something different, and he felt compelled to reveal a secret world that was very real for many people in the 1940s. The novel he wrote, The City and the Pillar, certainly did that. The story is of two teenage boys who have a sexual encounter one hot summer night and then go their separate ways, with one of the boys never truly able to let go of what seems to be his first love. Gore read a passage from the novel on the BBC program Omnibus in 1995. Abruptly, Bob pulled away. For a bold moment, their eyes met. Then, deliberately, gravely, Bob shut his eyes and Jim touched him as he had so many times in dreams without words, without thought, without fear. 
When the eyes are shut, the true world begins. As faces touched, Bob gave a shuddering sigh and gripped Jim tightly in his arms. Now they were complete. Each became the other as their bodies collided with a primal violence, like to like, metal to magnet, half to half, and the whole restored. This might sound a lot like Gore's early sexual experiences with Jimmy Trimble, why he even dedicated the novel to the memory of JT, except that the Jimmy stand-in, an athlete named Jim in the novel, doesn't die in the war as Jimmy did. Jim moves from one homosexual relationship to another, always looking to find the love he once felt, and along the way exposes the practice of older wealthy men keeping younger, poorer men as companions, throwing the doors of Hollywood's gay class system wide open. Even more shocking, Gore originally ended the novel with the two boys reuniting years later, one killing the other when his sexual advances are refused. Gore later revised the ending and downgraded the murder to rape. Still, a very chilling finale. Gore discusses the controversy he brought on by writing such a novel in the 2008 South Bank Show interview. City in the Pillar came out in 48. Um, that was one of the very first novels about same-sex relationships. Mm. And that was shocking enough at the time, but was even more shocking that it was uh, about all American boys and not about uh, persons in, in decadent places on, uh, in Europe or something no, like that. No hairdressers in no, there. No. <laughs> Here um, comes a bad letter from Vidal Sassoon. What drove you to write that? Exasperation. I came from a family that was generally sexually rather free in their attitudes. And uh, I thought it was about time people told the truth, you know. When Gore turned in the finished manuscript to his publisher in 1948, one editor told him, you will never be forgiven for this book. 20 years from now, you will still be attacked for it. And Gore's response was, if any book of mine is remembered in the year 1968, that's real fame, isn't it? And anyway, the editor's reaction came as no surprise as Gore continues. Did you realize that all hell was going to break loose? Oh, yes. My family had raised all hell for several generations. My great-grandfather founded the Party of the People. It was around 1880, 1890. And then his son, my grandfather, in a moment of madness, founded something called the State of Oklahoma. And humor of that sort runs in our family. And the family did shocking things on a big public scale. And I thought, well, I may as well join the, the parade. Here Gore gets into slight exaggeration to make the point that people were used to his family making grand gestures in history. His great-grandfather, Thomas Madison Gore, did associate himself with the Party of the People, also known as the People's Party, in Mississippi around 1880. And his grandfather, Thomas Pryor Gore, known as T.P., completely blind before he was 16, moved to Oklahoma in the year 1900, when the state was still just a U.S. territory. And for the next few years, T.P. did help to organize Oklahoma as a state, which it became in 1907, and he was elected as one of Oklahoma's first U.S. senators. 
So Gore joined his family's parade of public pariahs, but it was not without its consequences. This is where your quarrel with the New York Times began, because the New York Times um, refused to view, refused to review eight uh, books. Eight books. Just refused to review them. In fact, I think the chief review of the New York Times said he wouldn't even read them. This. The city and the pillar became gathered a serious audience which endures, but the establishment in the USA seriously turned against it. How did you feel about that? Well, reasonably heroic, I think. But no matter how much of a hero he felt he had become, Gore Vidal had no desire to be poor, as he recalled for Omnibus. Then came the city and the pillar and the New York Times uh, reviewer, Mr. Prescott hated it, and I was blacked out my next five books. What to do? I was desperate. And I was saved because I had to make a living, and I was desperate. Something new had happened called television, live television, and I plunged in. Yes, around this time, Gore began writing plays, a number of them for television, and then a few for the theater. One play in particular took a political turn and had such success that Gore wondered if he didn't belong in politics himself. But wait. Wouldn't his very open sex life be ammunition for his opponents? And wouldn't his views on homosexuality immediately make him an unpopular candidate? Gore asked himself these questions, wondered if political life was possible, and decided he should find out the answers for himself. Vidolatry is brought to you by We Own This Town. This episode was written and produced by me with additional research by Joshua Reese. You can find more information about this episode at vidolatry.com. I'm Ryan Briegel. Thank you for listening.